I was thinking this week as I was putting this together, we've all had jobs that we hated, right? Automatically, I just caused incredible PTSD with many of you. Like, you went right back to it. It's not hard. Like, you, it, you, it's, you know, it's funny how a bad job can, like, derail you for, like, years, right? We've all had jobs that we just, we weren't a fit. Uh, we, it, it didn't work for us. Um, you know, I, I, I've had two or three of those in my past that I don't want to bring up right now because it'll turn into group therapy. But, but the, you know, I was, I, was, I was thinking about jobs this week, and I found a few quotes. Uh, look, at, look at this one. I, I like this job only marginally more than I like being homeless. Um, oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, you know, uh, or uh, what about this one? Uh, I'm quitting to pursue my dream of not working here, <laughs> right? Uh, which is really great, right? We've all kind of felt that way, right? We, we've all had jobs that, that, we, that we weren't just a fit, you know? And that's why we talk so much at Clearview about using place. We have a, a gift assessment called PLACE, P-L-A-C-E, it's an acronym, and, and it is really there for you to determine your DNA and how God made you. You know, you know one thing I've learned about Christians? So few Christians, I'm serious, so few Christians actually take time to figure out how God made them. We don't do a lot of study on that. And when I began to study that in my early 30s, it was revolutionary for me. I'm not kidding. When I began to, to dive deep in the disc profile and the Word of God and other things like it, uh, I really learned a lot about my own DNA and, and how God made me. Because if you, if you don't know your place, John Garner can set you up with that. But if you don't know your place, you're going to be frustrated. That's why those jobs didn't work out. You know, you, you, were, you were somebody that was really gifted in finance and they had you in sales. Shocker, it didn't work. Maybe you were really gifted in operations and they had you in something that required you to meet with a lot of people. You're an operations mind. You know, so we end up getting frustrated. And there's a reason we do. So when you know how God made you, it opens up a lot of opportunities. Well, God has given you a job and he's given me a job to tell our redemption story. He really has. He's given us a job to tell our redemption story, but here's the problem. When you start talking to Christians about telling our redemption story, you know what happens? Anxiety. Ooh, I got to tell people about, I got to start conversations. Anxiety goes up. Some of you feel really strange and you, you start getting all worked up, maybe even now, or even maybe have a little bit of a shame and, and I, I wonder sometimes, I wonder if the reason we don't tell our redemption story is much like a bad job. We, we realized that maybe we were doing it in a way that didn't make sense. Today, I'm going to talk to you about being faithful with my story. To being faithful with my story because actually, that is our job. But sometimes we get our job descriptions messed up and I want to unravel that in a very positive way this morning about being faithful with my story. Because here's what happens, and I think in Christendom, right? In evangelical world, at least, um, many times Christians think that, you know, it, for me to be faithful to God, for it to really count in God's eyes, I've got to take a neighborhood like this, right? And I've got to go knocking on doors, telling people about Jesus, right? So, you know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there's like one of you in here that's comfortable doing that, you know? It's really hard. 
But a lot of times, over, if you've ever been around church much, and I'm not shaming any, there's a lot of churches go knocking on doors, and, and, and it's great for those that don't mind it. But I can tell you, at least with me, that was always something I struggled with. I really did. We're going to talk about being faithful with your story. I want you to turn to John 4. In in John 4, there's a story that I want to share with you that really kind of, and as you're turning there, let me tell you what, where it really hit me. I'll give you a little insight into my world for a minute. You know, um, a lot, of, a lot of pastors were conference geeks. You know, we, we we go to a lot of conferences and we go to a lot we go to a lot of places and you know we hang out at conferences and you network and do all this stuff and it's great and all. But I can tell you, every pastor's conference, especially the evangelism conferences that you would go to, the only people that were ever on stage were what I would call the harvesters. They were the ones that got you know they would fly southwest, whole plane got saved. No, I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm serious. Like, it was inevitable that there was going to be a guy step up and go, glory to God, good to see you this morning. I'm glad to be here. And uh, today, I, you know, I, when I got on the plane, United Flight 574, I uh, led the mechanic to Jesus when I was checking on the luggage, and I led the baggage claim person to Jesus, and, and uh, bless God, the pilot, and I exercised the demon uh, together. And I mean, and you would, meet, you would see these guys, and, and listen, I'm not saying they weren't right. I, I'm, I'm just saying they would make you feel, and then they would also, their church had like 17,000 baptisms last month. And, and I would be like, that's never me. Like, I never, that never happens to me. And I would have this, I would have this guilt. I would have this weird sense of shame until I read the words of Jesus. And it hit me something he said. John Four, verse 34. And there's a reason, by the way, that those guys like that are on the stage because they're a certain type of personality that I'm going to cover in a minute that God, God really uses people like that. But I'm going to tell you how I was different, how maybe you're different too. John 4, 34, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are already, that is, white for harvest. Already he who reaps, pay attention to that word. He who reaps, that's a harvester, is receiving wages that is gathering fruit for eternal life. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. And it hit me in that moment that Jesus validated the planter and the harvester together. You cannot harvest corn that has not been planted, at least not yet, right? They're doing a lot with GMO. It wouldn't surprise me one day. But you can't harvest something that hasn't been planted. And the fact that Jesus validated the sower as much as he did the harvester literally changed me, and the guilt went away.
Because if you look back, I promise you, every one of you that are in Christ today, if you look back, there was somebody that led you to Jesus, like as they literally walked you through praying to receive Christ. But there were 5, 10, sometimes 15 people along the way for years that planted, 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 and they never might even knew about it. And so what I want to do today is talk to you about how well it, this, this verse showed me. When I read this verse, it let me know, wait a minute. There's multiple parts to play here. You see, the, the Bible says, right, the Bible says that you've been designed with a personality. I, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God tells us, that that's, many, that's one of many scriptures in, in the Bible that tells us that you were made unique, right? You were made unique. That's true. God also tells me that, that I have been gifted with a special gift, a, a set of talents, right? He says in Ephesians 2 that we are his workmanship. You know what that word means, by the way? It's, it's like a painting. In the most literal definition, it would mean that you are God's work of art. You may not feel like a work of art, but God calls you that. We are his workmanship. It literally means God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God gave you a certain personality, and he gave you certain talents, but he also did something else. God empowered me with the power of himself. I know that doesn't roll off the tongue really well, but God empowered me with the power of himself. Let's look at that verse. That it says in 2 Peter 1, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. His divine power inside of you is the Spirit of God. And God has given you a personality. He's given you a gift mix. And he's also given you his own power, which tells me that if that's true, and if Paul talks many times in the scriptures about how we all have different roles to play, well, could it be, could it be that when it comes to telling your redemption story, that there's more than one way to do it. I believe there is. I believe that God did not make you specifically with talents and personality and empowerment only to confine you to one way to telling your redemption story. See, when you, it's our calling to tell people about our redemption story. And so today I want to walk you through how there's many, there's not, there's not, by the way, I can't just walk you through one passage of scripture. This is something I've looked at over time. I've studied it. I've read books on it. And there's, there's multiple ways. There's stories of people in the Bible. I'm not going to go deep in them this morning for the sake of time. But I want to hopefully bring you some encouragement and maybe even lift that guilt and lift that shame and lift you to go, wait a minute. Wow, maybe, maybe I actually have been missing something for a, a, long, a long time. And so, so there, there, there's a couple of personality types and stories of people in the scriptures that shared their faith in ways that fit them. The first one that I'm going to call is the philosopher, Okay. The philosopher. This would have been somebody like Paul. Paul loved theology. He was really good at it. Paul was the philosopher. In fact, if you don't know, the apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament. Right? The guy wrote half the New Testament pretty much. And he was a guy that, that would love to talk theology. Right? Some of you... The idea of debating the Trinity, you would rather have a, a root canal with no anesthetic, right? None. You would far prefer that. So look at what Paul said in Acts 17. 
There's a, a famous story where Paul, he talks to the people of Athens, and he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around, I walked around your town. I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship. In other words, there's a lot of them. You have a lot of idols here. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. We're going to enter into a conversation. So it's, it's pretty fascinating. The, the people in Athens actually had, the, in, in other words, they set up like multiple temples and multiple altars. And these are people that are leaving nothing to chance, man. They're even going to set up an altar in case we miss the God. We're not going to make this one mad, right? I mean, just in case we want a, an altar to the unknown so that this unknown God doesn't like come down and kill us all, right? Paul was a philosopher and he said, you don't know what you're worshiping. I can help you with that. And, and that's how God used him. He loved that kind of thing. So maybe you're a philosopher, maybe theology, or maybe certain types of scripture or certain aspects of theology is something you really enjoy. You should use that. Then there's people like the, what I call the confronter. And that would be, the confronter would be somebody like Peter, shoot first, aim later kind of guy, Right? And, and Peter, Peter, but Peter was good at that. He was really good at just, and, and listen, he wasn't, he wasn't being a jerk. Let me tell you, when I, when we, we, in America, we think of this word confronter as, as a negative word, confrontation. It, it just means direct. Peter was a guy that didn't mind just telling you what he really thought. You always knew where you stood. And that, that's great. Let me tell you something. We live in a society now. I've watched America turn over my lifetime to a place where, truthfully, it is very hard to have conversations with people anymore with plain talk. They get incredibly offended. You know, their son or daughter doesn't make the soccer team and they want to sue the coach. Maybe the son or daughter just needed to get better. But if a coach tells them, your kid's great, but I can only put like 11 football players on the field and, and your son is like number 13, get better. I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, that, that's, that, that's, that's an option. Get better. But we live in a society now where if you tell somebody the truth anymore, you're just a hater. You're, let me tell you something, friends. You're never hating on somebody, loving them enough to tell them the truth. You're never hating on somebody. Peter was just direct. Look at what he did in, Acts, in, in the book of Acts, Acts 4. It said, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, he's standing in front of a lot of people, a lot of Jews. He said, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what that's the equivalent of in that day. Imagine me walking up on the, on the, the court steps of the courtyard or the capital of North Korea and saying, hey. 
If you don't accept Christ, you're all going to hell, and your gods are worthless. I won't make it back to Franklin. That's exactly what he did. He just told him the truth. Peter was kind of direct, and, and some of you, you've got friends that you need to be direct with. Listen, God is never calling you to be, listen to me, God is never giving you a license to be a theological jerk, okay? He's never calling you to be hateful or ugly, but we, all called, we, are, we are all called to be honest. So, so there is the philosopher, there's the confronter, but there's also what I would call the testifier. Uh, this is one of my favorite stories, man. This is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, right? The testifier in John chapter 9. So this is what happens. This, the, Jesus heals this blind man, right? This blind man gets healed, and it says that the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the rulers of Israel, meaning that the, the, the Jews, if you will, they, they, a second time, they, they summon this guy. They bring him to a, a council. They want to know how this happened. And they tell him, Give glory to God by telling us the truth. We know this man is a sinner. And the blind man said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. It's hard to argue with that, isn't it? Don't you find it interesting that the blind man never took the bait on theology? He didn't. Paul would have said, oh, let's get coffee settled in for a four-hour conversation about sin and righteousness. Because, see, they asked that blind, blind man, they asked, actually they asked Jesus, who sinned that this man would be born blind, his parents or him? And so they're saying something caused this. And the blind man comes in, he says, hey, fellas, I, I don't know who this Jesus man is. All I can tell you is, uh, up until about 30 minutes ago, I didn't know what purple was or yellow or red. I had never seen a seashell or you. I didn't know what a cow looked like, but now I do. See, he just testified. Sometimes all you have to do is testify. This guy didn't take the bait on theology. He just told his story. Man, listen, people need your redemption story. They need to hear what God is doing in your life. They need to know what God is doing. And, and this guy, notice he, he didn't really say much after that. He just shared the story. Then there's also what I call the networker. To be faithful with your story, we're called, we, you've got a redemption story. God's calling you to be faithful with it. So what does it look like? Who, who is this networker type person? This is a really unique insight into how God made the disciples. So before I show you the verse, when, um, I, need to, I, need to, I need to explain to you who we're going to read this verse about. We're going to read a verse about Matthew. Now, Matthew was an interesting man. Matthew was a tax collector. And let me tell you what that meant in that day. The Roman government had taken over Israel. And Matthew was not a Roman. He lived in Israel. He lived in that area. So let me give you a modern day example. Imagine that a foreign country overpowers America. And now we are all invaded and we live as the subjects of another country. And I become a tax collector for the enemy. 
You're going to unfriend me on Facebook. I promise. Okay? You're not going to like me at all. I'm working for the enemy. And they're, they're taxing you beyond oblivion. That's who Matthew was. So Jesus calls Matthew and he says, I want you to follow me. And this is what he says. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi, that's Matthew, got up and he left everything and he followed him. And then there's this verse in Luke 5. It says, Levi held, Matthew held a great banquet. He held a party. He threw a party for Jesus at his house. And what did he do? He said, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. Matthew threw a party. Matthew leveraged his influences. He, he wasn't a philosopher. He wasn't a confronter. He, he, he wasn't anything like that. He, he maybe even wasn't a testifier. But Matthew's like, you know what? Here's what I can do. I've got a lot of friends that don't know Jesus. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to get Jesus in the room. And I'm just going to let Jesus do Jesus stuff. I'm going to let Jesus do things that Jesus does. Let me tell you guys. Let me tell you what this tells me. There is massive power in an invitation. Listen to me, Christian friend. I am convinced of two things when it comes to this issue. One, most Christians spend their whole lives rarely inviting anybody to what the people of God do. But yet studies are taken all the time. Did you know this? Studies are taken all the time in the Christian world. That it, It's astronomical how many people would say yes to something if you would just invite them. We had a person come to our church not long ago who was, who was deep in sin. And one of their friends invited him to come here. And I asked the person, I said, hey, what... What, what would make you come? And this is what she said. Well, my friend invited me. Why would I not? Matthew looked around his world. He looked down his street. He looked two workspaces over. He, he started scanning his life and going, I'll just have a party. It's the power of an invitation, man. Some of you you got a great chance next week. Some of you fellas, think through your life of how many men are far from God and get them to men of Franklin and watch what happens. I'm telling you, you'd be shocked what a little bit of free food can do for a dude. It's worked before. Then there's one person I would call the servant, right? Some of you are so good at this. In fact, many of you, are, you're so good at this. Now, the Bible, the Bible says very specifically, this is important for you to know, the Bible says very specifically there is the gift of service. We are all called to be servants, but there is the gift of service. I don't have it. I mean, I mean, really, I don't. I'm called to serve, but there are many of you that this is actually the gift the Holy Spirit deposited on you. You know who these kind of people are? Like, bring them on the stage and they will melt into the earth. The, any recognition at all, they die a thousand deaths, right? 
They want nobody to know anything. But you'll go on vacation. They will break into your house, clean your home, just because. They will show up at a party, and they can't wait to do the dishes. They would never let you clean up. It's just what they do. God made them that way. And many of you, you know who a lot of these people are at our church? They're the kind of people that run room in the inn. They work up in that closet. You don't even know their names. They drive to get our homeless crowd. You don't even know who they are. They don't want you to know. They, they show up. They, they do things like that that you're never going to see. Our church is full of people like this. And this is, this is the kind of person you, you show the love of God, but you also speak it. See, this is what servants do. Your redemption story doesn't work if you don't tell it. See, if we don't tell our story, let me tell you what that's akin to. The Bible says that we are to tell people about Christ. The Bible calls us witnesses. You know what witnesses do? This is a huge theological thing. This is what a witness means. Tell what you know. That's literally what it means in the Greek language. A person that tells what they know. But if you don't tell your story, if you don't tell your story... Nobody can come to Christ. So if we don't tell, regardless of what kind of person you are, servant, philosopher, networker, doesn't matter what kind of person you are, there's a point in time you have to tell your story. Because if you don't, it's the equivalent of somebody drowning, and you swim out to them, and you swim up beside them, because you're an expert swimmer, you swim out to the drowning person, and you just want to influence them with your presence. Wow. Wow. You're in a tight spot. I mean, that would be even maybe borderline neglect, homicidal neglect, right? No. If you swim out to a drowning person, hey, I know how to get you out of this. That's what we do. So there was a lady in Acts 9 named Tabitha or Dorcas. Um, It says in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, and her Greek name was Dorcas, and she was always doing good and helping the poor. She was constantly one of these people that was literally serving in Jesus' name. Some of you, the greatest thing you can do is just serve, but tell your story. Tell your story when you do. And there's one more that I want to share with you this morning, and it's what I would call the sower. I gave it to you a minute ago when I said I talked to you about John 4, when we we started out with Jesus talking about the the reaper and the sower will be glad together. So this kind of person, if you look in the scriptures, there's a story about a guy that's sowing seed. He's throwing seed out with his hand. You know how sometimes you do in your yard when you just want to strengthen your grass a little bit and you throw some seed in places? Kind of what this guy was doing. And the sower says in Luke 8, a farmer went out to sow seed. And as he was scattering it, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell by the thorns, which grew up. So it it did take some root. It grew up, but it says it was choked by the plants. And yet another seed, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and it yielded a crop. A hundred times more than was sown. But there's one thing you notice. 
it doesn't say that, that, that it, it doesn't appear anyway that, that this sower had any type of prerequisite for where he sowed. He just did it. He just threw it out. And wherever it stuck, it stuck, right? He wasn't overthinking it. He just kind of did it as he went, you know, doing his thing. And, and the more I've looked at my life, I think this is probably the one I fit into. Because every time that I went to a pastor's conference, I would leave not encouraged, I would leave down when they got to the evangelism portion. Because any, any church I had ever pastored, we didn't baptize a thousand a month. And those guys that I talked about that would fly, you know, on a Southwest United flight and win like eight people to Jesus, those guys were sincere in that. They really were. They were good at it. But it's funny how I would sometimes have conversations like that, and, and it would go nowhere. And I really didn't understand, like, what was wrong with me? Until I read Jesus' words, that the reaper and the sower would be glad together. There were people that sowed Jesus into my life, and I was, mm, right, I kept them right there. They were just as open and just as honest and just as confronting and just as philosophical and just as theological and just as loving and, and just as everything as the person that led me to Jesus. I, it wasn't, I wasn't lined up with God yet. And so when that happened, the seed took root. And here's what I realized about me. I began to look back. I kind of backcast on my life, and I began to realize every book I had ever written, every video I ever made, every project I ever went, it was the intent of sharing the gospel. I just didn't harvest as much as other people did. And, and so what I had to learn was that that's, that that's just kind of the role God put me in. I, I tell people, but I, my, my approach is way more relational. See, there are people, no kidding, there are people that can literally knock on somebody's door and win them to Jesus on their doorstep in 45 seconds. I mean, they are, they're truly anointed with that. I'm not. I, I, I take more of an approach where I, really, I, I just get to know people a little bit differently and get to know them a little bit longer. And, and, and then just the other day, just the other day, I, 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 I took a, a friend to lunch, and I, and I set him down, and I said, hey, man, um, you know, we've known each other for a while, and I really care about you, and I know you don't have a Bible, so I'm going to give you one, so I brought him a Bible, and I said, but there's, there's a part of my story that you don't really know, and I want to tell it to you. So I began to walk him through how Jesus saved me. And I began to walk him through everything that God had done in my life. And I said, I want you to know why I'm telling you this. I looked him in the eye. And I said, because the Bible says that if you don't come to Christ, you're going to spend an eternity in hell. And I love you. And I care about you. And the last thing I want to do is to know that you were friends with me and I never told you. 
And I want you to know that you count and you matter. But you need to understand, it's not about becoming God's friend. There is a consequence if you don't. Now, it took me a year and a half to get to that conversation. And he received it. He didn't receive Christ, but he could receive that. You know why? I had loved him well to get there. Because I really did care about him. And I do care about him. Because I want to tell you why you have to be honest about hell. Listen to me, friends. It's not about getting people to church. It's not about getting them to men of Franklin or getting them involved in your women's group. Listen, there's real eternity here. And a, and a gospel that isn't honest about hell is a false gospel. An on, a gospel that isn't honest about the, the reality of hell is a false gospel. And we're, our, our country is full of churches that are, you know, be God's friend, be God's friend, be God's friend. And I'm saying, you're not going to be God's friend if you're not in Christ. You're not going to be God's friend if you're not in Christ. So if you love somebody, tell them the truth. For me... I just knew with this particular, sometimes I actually have sat on a plane and told somebody, you opened up your whole life to me, I'm going to tell you what's missing, whammo, you know, and I tell them. But more often than not, God puts people on my path, and when he does, my eyes are open. And so I was more of the, the sower, and I think it, it, it works for me. Because the reaper and the sower can be glad together. So, you know what? With my friend, it may be that there's somebody four people down the line that harvest that. But I, 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 did, I did my job. So, why would I bring this up to you on a Sunday morning? I bring it up to you because people need Christ and they need your redemption story. And you've got this sphere of influence. We believe in missions at Clearview, but I'm going to tell you something about missions. We go on international missions, and we're going to be going on more international missions. But I'm going to tell you, your biggest mission field, you don't have to go anywhere. It's already around you. It's already built in. It's called your workplace, or your hobby, or your passions, or what you love, or what your tribe is, who your people are. You've already got it built in. It's already there. God has brought people to you, and you can leverage your love and your trust. So when you ask yourself, what do I do, or what does God want me to do? I can tell you what God wants you to do. Start. Start. Some of you are networkers. Throw a party. Some of you are encouragers. You love through encouragement. Start. Start. Send a text. Some of you are confronters, and, but you're gentle in the way. You ain't got to yell at somebody to confront. If you do, you don't have many friends. Some of you are great at, at being honest, and so what you need to do is you need to send that text to that friend that you love, and you say, listen, God's got a word for you. Stop doing that. It's going to kill you. Some of you are really great servants. Mow somebody's yard in the name of Jesus. Start. Start, man. Because God's given you a redemption story, friend. He's given you a redemption story. And your story is beautiful. 
It's beautiful. Some of you go, you know, but I, did, I wasn't like saved from drugs. Some of you were. I didn't have this life of prostitution. I, I, I didn't come out of like corporate corruption, you know, and 82 divorces. Let me tell you something. Jesus saved you from hell. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. And you can tell it. Some of the best testimonies of all are, I grew up in church, man. I knew it all. I walked. I grew up in like, you know, preschool, RAs, GAs. Don't even know, don't even know what that is. Many of y'all. And, then, and I go, center kid, fuge, did it all, man. Went all this stuff. Got to college, realized I was a reprobate. Jesus saved me. And I was religious. That's a great testimony. Your friends need your redemption story. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.